Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. He is risen. Amen. The Lord has burst the bonds of death. The tomb is empty. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. I'd like to read to you an Easter poem. The Easter poem this morning that I'd like to read to you is entitled, Angels Roll the Rock Away. It was written by Thomas Scott. Angels roll the rock away. Death, yield up the mighty prey. See, he rises from the tomb, glowing with immortal bloom. Hallelujah. Tis the Savior, angels raise, fame's eternal trump of praise. Let the earth's remotest bound hear the joy-inspiring sound. Hallelujah. Now, ye saints, lift up your eyes. Now to glory see him rise. In long triumph up the sky, up to waiting worlds on high. Hallelujah. Heaven displays her portals wide. Glorious Savior, through them ride. King of glory, mount thy throne. Thy great fathers and thy own, thine own. Hallelujah. Praise him, all ye heavenly choirs. Praise and sweep your golden lyres. Shout, O earth, in rapturous song. Let the strains be sweet and strong. Hallelujah. Every note with wonder swell, sin, o'erthrown and captived hell. Where is hell's once dreaded king? Where, O death, thy mortal sting? Hallelujah. Let's uh, pray as we prepare to open God's word together. Father in heaven, this is a day of tremendous celebration. This is the day, Lord, of your victory, of your triumph, of your son's exaltation. We praise you, Lord God, that you have brought about the resurrection from the dead of our dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're thankful because his resurrection means so much for all of us who believe. There are so many blessings and benefits that have come through the death and resurrection of your dear son. So we are full of praise and thanks and victory, Lord, because it's your victory. I pray, Lord, now as we look into the things of your word, that you would grant us insight, Lord, that it would be perhaps your pleasure to lead someone to repentance during this time, lead someone to uh, greater fire and hunger for you and for your word, perhaps, or... Lord, lead somebody to um, ask forgiveness of another person, a uh, reconciled relationship, whatever it is, Lord, that you would do in your pleasure. We ask that you do it. We ask that you draw near to us and be our teacher and our guide now. This is your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the hours before he was arrested, Jesus prayed a lengthy prayer to his father, and of course we have that prayer in John chapter 17. I want to direct our attention uh, just to a single verse within that prayer, which is called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus, and the verse I want to draw our attention to is verse 5. 
Jesus prays to his Father, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Jesus, praying on this very earth, in the hours just before his cross, prayed for the same glory he had had that had been his experience prior to coming to the earth. And Jesus knew as he prayed this way that his father was indeed listening, listening to his prayer. In John eleven forty two, Jesus said with great confidence, he said to the father, you always hear me. You always hear me. How would this prayer of Jesus to be glorified again be answered? Well, let's consider this subject on this Easter Sunday. Centuries before Jesus took on flesh on this earth, Isaiah, the prophet, was ministering. And I want to take us back, actually, we were here on Good Friday also, but I want us to take us back now to one of the most important prophecies of the Messiah that Isaiah uttered. So we begin this morning at Isaiah 52, verse 13. God is talking about his servant here, and he says, listen to what he says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely, he shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. So there, hundreds of years before Jesus the servant arrived on earth, God promised exaltation for his servant. He shall be exalted. Again, in John 17, 5, that we looked at earlier, Jesus prayed for glory, that he would be glorified, exalted. The passage in Isaiah goes from that note of exaltation, it goes from exaltation in chapter, two, uh, chapter 52, verse 13, the exaltation of the servant Messiah, to his humiliation, in 52.14 through 53.11, and then in 53.12, we come again to the place of exaltation, although this time the exaltation is even greater than it had been at 52.13. So we need to note that movement, exaltation to humiliation to greater exaltation. We can be pretty sure that as the Apostle Paul wrote Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, as he wrote down the great Christ hymn that we have there, he had that passage in Isaiah, that long passage, in mind. He had that passage in mind. And I say that with some confidence because the movement in that section of Philippians is exactly the same as it is in Isaiah. Paul begins by talking about how Jesus had been 
in the form of God. It's the language he uses. That is, Jesus existed prior to his taking on flesh, prior to the incarnation. He existed eternally in exaltation, in glory, in the form of God. And so we start in the Philippians passage with exaltation in the form of God. And then the passage moves immediately to, guess what? Humiliation. Paul continues in the passage saying that Christ emptied himself, took the form, note this very well, Jesus took the form of a servant. Isaiah's song had been about the servant of the Lord. Paul in Philippians 2.7 makes sure to identify Jesus as servant. And Paul continues by talking about Jesus being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so note well, in Philippians, just as it had been in Isaiah, we go from a short notice concerning exaltation on the suffering and death of the servant. Again, Jesus praying in John 17 speaks of the glory, the exaltation that had been his prior to his incarnation on earth. Exaltation had been Jesus after his death on the cross and after his burial. God glorified the Son just as the Son had asked, had prayed. Now let's talk about this word exalted in Philippians 2.9. God highly exalted Jesus Christ after the cross. What does it mean exactly and what, how is this pertinent for Easter Sunday? Well, first of all, the word here in the original Greek text is not simply saying that God exalted Jesus following his death. Rather, it's saying that God supremely exalted him. Or in the words of Gordon Fee, what's being said here is that God the Father exalted the Son, he says, to the highest possible degree, to the highest possible degree. As Paul Beasley Murray has put it, it wasn't just that God restored Jesus to the place of honor that had been his, rather, God elevated Jesus to a yet higher status than he had ever known before. Jesus occupies the most supremely exalted place in the entire universe. All other things and people and so-called gods are not even in the same category. The exalted Jesus is in a class by himself. He is the incomparably supremely great one. It's Jesus in whom we are exulting on this Easter Sunday 
in our worship. Now, we've talked about the humiliation of Jesus Christ. The humiliation of Jesus is a four-part thing, a four-part thing. First was the incarnation of Jesus, his giving up the glory that he had had in heaven in order to be born in human flesh. Second in the humiliation is Jesus' suffering. The opposition and the hatred that came his way from human beings, his suffering. Third in the humiliation of Jesus was his death on the cross, where Jesus was loaded up with our sin and our guilt, and where he experienced for the first time in eternity the turning away of the Father's face from him. The cross is where Jesus bore the wrath of God against sin and finally gave up his last breath, his death. And then fourth and finally in the humiliation of Jesus was his burial in a borrowed tomb. One fruitful way that we can think of Christ's humiliation is to think of it through the lens of Adam. Adam in the Garden of Eden had sought to be like God. He had presumed that he could be like God. Adam bought into the serpent's promise that by eating the fruit, Adam would be like God. And things, of course, went very badly for Adam and for each of us as a result. But when the last Adam, Jesus Christ, came on the scene, instead of grasping at being like God, the last Adam, Jesus, went the other direction, didn't he? He laid aside his divine prerogatives, going back to Philippians 2, laid aside his divine prerogatives so that he could come lowly into our midst, there to suffer and to die the death that we deserved. The last Adam came to serve and not to be served. He came as Isaiah's servant. And as a result of his humility and his obedience, Philippians 2.9, God exalted him to the supreme place. When we talk about the exaltation of Jesus, it likewise has four stages. First, and the aspect that we are celebrating today, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to return there in just a moment. But very quickly, the second element of exaltation for Jesus is his ascension. When 40 days after his resurrection, he went visibly to the highest heaven, ascension. And then third in the exaltation of Jesus is what we call his session. That is, his sitting down at the honored and favored right hand of the Father with power over all things in heaven and on earth, there making intercession 
for the saints of God. And then fourth and finally, whoops, fourth and finally in his exaltation is his return in glory, which we still await. His second coming, when the one who was unjustly judged by human beings will return to judge the world in power and in great glory. I think you'll agree with me that this past year has been the absolute pits. There's been lots of heartache, hasn't there? Lots of anxiety, lots of pressure, lots of sorrow. I am convinced, my friends, that gaining real spiritual sight of the exalted, living, and soon returning Jesus Christ, gaining sight of him, exalted in your soul, will lift you in profound measure, no matter what you are facing. And so I labor this morning on this Easter Sunday to glory with you in the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see him? Are you seeking things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Colossians 3, verse 1, is your mind set on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth? Or are you so mired in your earthly circumstances that you have lost sight of the exalted, living, risen, ascended, seated, and soon coming Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in the exaltation that we just outlined, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension, his session at the Father's right hand, his second coming, the whole fourfold exaltation that God made happen is the fulfillment of that verse in Isaiah 52, 13 that we looked at earlier. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. Remember, this is hundreds of years before Jesus was on the earth. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Philippians 2, 9, God highly exalted Jesus And the exaltation of Jesus is the Father's abundant, thunderous answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17, 5. Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. God responds... After the death and the burial of Jesus, he responds by raising Jesus from the dead, by having Jesus ascend to him to sit at his right hand, and by giving Jesus authority, he has authority over all things, so that he will return one day to judge the entire world. This is the exalted Jesus we're talking about. On Easter Sunday's past... We have talked at some length about what the resurrection means for you and I. It's important that we do that. We've talked about all the amazing outcomes for us that have come so blessedly 
by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this year, this Easter, God has led us in this direction where we are talking more about what the resurrection meant for Jesus, for our Lord. Again, the resurrection was the first glorious stage in Christ's exaltation. On Easter morning, what happened? The humiliation of Jesus came to an official and irreversible end. And the exaltation of Jesus began. He came out of the tomb. Hallelujah. He came out of the tomb. As the great theologian Herman Bavinck once put it, I want you to listen, the resurrection of Jesus, he said, is, quote, the divine declaration the divine declaration of the power and value of his death. The resurrection is the amen of the Father to the it is finished of the Son. I love that. The resurrection is the amen of the Father to the it is finished of the Son. One more time, Bavink, the divine, the resurrection of Jesus is the divine declaration of the power and value of his death. The resurrection is the amen of the Father to the it is finished of the Son. The resurrection, my friends, is the divine vindication, the divine vindication of the atoning work of the Son. The resurrection is so many things, isn't it? The resurrection is the confirmation of Jesus' own claim to divine power. It's the confirmation of his own claim to divine power. Didn't Jesus say very clearly while he was still living before the cross, didn't he say very clearly in John chapter 10 verse 18 that he had the power to take his life up again after it had been laid down. When Jesus rose from the dead, it confirmed that the divine authority that Jesus had spoken of there, that divine authority was real. And the resurrection of Jesus was, of course, the destruction, hallelujah, the destruction of death and the devil. Hebrews 2.14, through death, through death, through death, Jesus destroys the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. The greatest thing that you and I fear, if we really look deep inside of ourselves, is dying, death. And Jesus, by his cross and resurrection, has stripped the power away from sin, death, and the devil. Amen and hallelujah. And, of course, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the assurance, isn't it? The assurance of our own physical resurrection to life if we are believers. I know because the Bible tells me so, and God is 100% accurate on all his predictions and prophecies and promises. I know that after a time of being buried six feet under the earth, dead, I as a believer will rise to life. 
because God in his power will do that. He will raise us to eternal life physically and bodily to live on a renewed earth with the risen Jesus Christ. It's so exciting. It is the assurance, the resurrection is the assurance of our own physical resurrection to life. And we must not also, we must not forget the connection between Christ's resurrection and our own justification, our own legal status of being declared not guilty and being declared righteous that God has granted us in his grace. Paul says in Romans 4.25 that Christ was raised for our justification. Raised for our justification. And we must also see, quite simply, we must see that the resurrection, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection is the very, listen, the very foundation of the apostolic Christianity that we subscribe to as his church. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. I might as well pack it up right now. Our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The resurrection is the very foundation of apostolic Christianity. The resurrection is so many things. Aren't you glad today, my friend, my believing friend, aren't you glad that God highly exalted his son Jesus Christ, beginning with his resurrection? Aren't you glad today? Aren't you thrilled that Christ's body changed from a body prone to weakness and corruption and perishability, changed from that, from, from that body like we have in our current bodies, changed from that to a risen, imperishable, glorious, and powerful body. Aren't you glad that Jesus was raised in both his human and divine natures? being more glorious, more exalted than ever before as the risen God-man. Aren't you glad today that his resurrection would then issue in ascension and session at the right hand of God, where at this very moment, at this very moment, even as I speak, he as the risen Jesus Christ is interceding for us and advocating for us prior to his return for us. Aren't you thankful on this Easter morning, on this Easter Sunday, that, that where men certainly did not exalt him, as they were nailing him to the cross, that God highly exalted him as he brought him out, astonishingly brought him out from the tomb. Aren't you full of praise today on this Easter Sunday that where men judged him unworthy to live and where men thought they did away with him, finally, God judged him worthy of the highest exaltation and raised him from the dead. Aren't you glad? Aren't you amazed that the thing we fear most, 
namely death, has been overruled in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death has been rendered impotent, lacking in ability for the believer. Oh, death, where is your sting? That's Paul trash-talking death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Christ is risen. Aren't you glad today for the crucified and risen Jesus, your Lord, your Savior, your life, your master, your friend, your king? We began this morning by talking about the pattern in Isaiah, a pattern also reflected in Philippians 2, The lofty exaltation for Jesus Christ does not come, does not come without the rock-bottom humiliation happening first. And as we close, I want to remind you, dear brother, dear sister, I want to remind you, servants of Jesus Christ, that you, that I, we are not above our master. Amen? Listen to what the risen and exalted Jesus Christ says to us this Easter morning. He says in Luke 14, 11, Everyone who exalts himself, herself, will be, what? Humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, in God's economy, the pattern of humbling leading to exaltation applies to us as well. We are not above our master. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will do what? He will exalt you. 1 Peter 5 verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, at the proper time, not on our calendar, at the proper time, on God's calendar, he may exalt you. I close now with a few very pertinent uh, sentences, I think, from a sermon that Charles Spurgeon once preached on the exaltation of Jesus. Uh, Spurgeon said, listen, If Christ was exalted through his degradation, so shall you be. And then he says this, Count not your steps to triumph by your steps upward, but by those which are seemingly downward. Again, count not your steps to triumph by your steps upward, but by those which are seemingly downward. The way to heaven is downhill. He who would be honored forever must sink in his own esteem and often in that of his fellow men also. And then Spurgeon said, If you stand in the brunt and thick of the fight... Is that you this morning, standing in the brunt and the thick of the fight? If you stand in the brunt and the thick of the fight, remember that you shall stand in the midst of glory. If you have the hardest to bear, 
you shall have the sweetest to enjoy. So, on with you through floods, through fire, through death, through hell, if it should lie in your path. Fear not, he who glorified Christ because he stooped shall glorify you. For after he has caused you to endure for a while, he will give you a crown of life which fadeth not away. Happy Easter, my friends. Christ is risen. Christ is exalted. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have revealed to us a couple of things. First of all, the pattern of your universe, which you have um, embedded, essentially, which is humility, humiliation, humbling, leading to exaltation. And secondly, we thank you, Lord, that our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, has not only demonstrated this pattern of being humbled and going through humiliation, leading to exaltation, not only has he modeled it for us, Lord, but the very humiliation through exaltation has brought about for us untold riches and blessing. Our salvation are being set free from sin and from death and from the devil. Our coming resurrection to life, Lord, you have given us and granted us so much through the cross and resurrection that words fail to even describe it. We praise you, we adore you, we thank you for the resurrection this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.